House of Cards Chapter 47 is over, but we are just getting started here on the House of Cards post-show recap. And now, here are the guys who just finished the book club of Scorpio. I'm Rob Sestrino. Here is Zach Brooks. Rob, I'm ready to podcast. I got myself a piece of pizza from whatever that pizza place is that's next to Zoe Barnes's apartment. Oh, uh, see, I just get coffee from there. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know, you got to try the pizza with Parmesan. It's the best. Yeah. Boy, Hammerschmidt, he really put a lot of Parmesan on that pizza. Yeah. yeah he really he, uh, doused it. He does everything full tilt. <laughs> Investigating Parmesan cheese, pizza, everything. <laughs> right. Am I off on that? It's free, right? You gotta you gotta take all the all the free topics you can get. Really went to town on it. Yeah. Well, right. he was he was probably a little upset about the woman calling him Mister Nice Shoes and and spitting on him and, and trying <laughs> to hit him with her shopping cart. I mean, okay, he got a stressy. Well, we will talk all about the hammer and much much more as we get through chapter forty seven. After this, only five more episodes to go here in House of Cards. Season four, it's gone by like that. And so happy to have you guys here on board. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any of it. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash HOC iTunes, or we always appreciate when you leave us your feedback and star ratings. And you have to give Zach Brooks five stars because in our last podcast, we did our draft in the season where all the loose ends get tied up and we did our draft of the people that who's going to show up next who's going to be the person from out of the blue and in that third round zach selected who did you select first uh i said lisa and cashew first lisa and cashew and then you said okay i'll take it back give me instead yates yates will come back and then wouldn't you know it opening scene no less (laughs) chapter 47 here is the return of yates yeah, it's always exciting when I make a correct prediction on this podcast. You're I locked think I, in. You're yeah, locked in. Let's go to I, Vegas. I always, I always put a uh, an exclamation point after it. Like, I, I have Yates with exclamation point. You know, Meacham took a bullet for Frank with an exclamation point. So uh, it's it's always good when I can put a feather in my hat. Yeah, you are so locked in right now. It's not even funny. Man, I should I should give my March Madness picks over this yeah. and really really give things out. Yeah, you're on fire. Okay, so we will talk about the return of Yates and much more. But I guess we need to start here with Frank and Claire back on the same page, and they are sort of like thick as thieves working on this plan to ultimately end up with Claire as the vice president. But we are sort of in the dark as to exactly how this plan is going to work. We're just seeing the steps as they happen, and we see a few more pieces on the chessboard moving along. And so maybe we could talk through how this is ultimately going to happen. So Frank and Claire, again, it seems like they are completely on the same page. There's no, like, Frank going to be pulling the rug out from underneath Claire, we don't think, at least, and because they seem to be completely working in lockstep on this, right? You agree that they are completely moving forward together as a unit which cannot be broken at this point? Yeah, I think so. And I, I did feel like the way that they shot, there was a there was a scene where we had Claire talking to Julia from the NRA and we had Frank talking to Dean Austin, the, the guy from Ohio that was going to be his running mate for for the election. And they cross cut those two scenes together and they were telling two different stories. And so I thought, oh, they're they actually aren't working together. They're they're both trying to get their own agenda passed. But those two stories actually came together and it was all one big plan just to get Austin to not 
uh, to not run as his vice president. Yeah, it's really shades of Ocean's Eleven right now for Frank and Claire as they are working on this big heist to get Claire to the vice presidency. Okay, so the episode, as far as Frank is concerned, it starts off with we are meeting the VP candidate that has been selected by the Democratic leadership uh, which is Senator Dean Austin from Ohio. Again, Ohio, a uh, big looms large both in the real 2016 election and the House of Cards 2016 election. Yeah, it's a, it's a big swing state. And, and I felt like this guy looked a lot like Marty from the teachers union in the in the first season. Do you remember Marty? Not off the top of my head of what he looks like. He played a big role in the first half Mr. of the first season. Marty. Yeah, exactly. Marty, you have to come back with me. Season four. Yeah. He looks a lot like that guy, but it's it's not him. I thought maybe it was the same actor, which would have been really sloppy, but um, I think it's just a, a guy who kind of looks like him. So the deal was that Claire was going to be working really hard on this gun bill. They wanted to get, say, a justice on the Supreme Court that was going to be very anti-gun, but then they needed somebody who was pro-gun, who was going to be on the VP ticket. That was the way they were going to be able to sell all this. Meanwhile, Claire is going to be meeting with a woman who's one of the muckety-mucks, uh, the higher-ups at the NRA. And so... Claire really does not seem to ultimately, well, from what we hear from Yates, she doesn't care about guns. This is all theater for what Claire is doing. And I mean, really impressive theater too, because we had the scene where, where Claire is doing the robocall recording and it's really passionate uh, performance by Claire. I, I, during that scene thought, okay, she really does care about gun violence. And, and this is something that's really personal and passionate to her. And uh, we heard, we heard Frank compare politics to show business, and we're getting some real show business from Frank and Claire right now. Well, Claire has a podcast. Could be a thing. She was really, she was on the mic and setting up those robocalls, uh, getting ready to go. And again, you're right that this is all just one big show that they're trying to pull off, like one big magic trick. Look over here while we're doing this. And so I do think that that was an important line that Frank uh, said about show business, which I do want to talk more about as we go along. So. Then Frank is also trying to throw this guy under the bus, but not necessarily let him know he's being thrown under the bus. He's basically trying to work with the Democratic leadership and not give them any sort of pushback either, but sort of just let this guy sort of hang himself. And so you have Claire with the NRA and the NRA is pushing back on this. And so this guy has gotten so much money from the NRA in Austin, but Frank tells him that, Hey, there is no negotiation. I need you to stand with me on this. And they go back to the site where Frank is shot and where Meacham was assassinated. And he tells the vice president elect or Austin, I need you to get behind me on this. Yeah. And, and he doesn't only get behind him, but he stands right up next to him, stands in front of him and gives the, the impassioned speech that he has changed his ways. He is supporting the first lady's bill and, and he, he is now on the uh, he's now in the anti-gun movement and he is he is with Claire. He's with Frank uh, and he's he's in for the long haul. And, you know, I, I like this character of Dean Austin. I thought it was a, a good, a good character to introduce. But, man, I don't know how this guy got so far in the Senate because he's he's uh, kind of a dim bulb. Yeah. Well, I, what, that he's the senator from Ohio. That's what he is. Yeah, he's one of the senators from Ohio. Yeah. And he's gotten $20 million from the NRA. I mean, I guess he's just somebody who's been manipulated his whole life to get into power. So 
Um, but but Frank really worked him over pretty quickly. Yeah, Frank worked him over. And then also then Julia from the NRA also worked him over uh, pretty good in this episode. So we start to see Frank's plan is that once he's going to throw Austin under the bus, then he talks about this idea of like, uh, why don't we let the public, why don't we let them figure out who the vice president is? Now, I want it to be Kathy, but we should let them. Like, what is this American Idol? How is Frank going <laughs> to be picking a running mate? What is he going for here? Yeah, everybody's got to text in their vote uh, for who they want to who they want to vote for. Okay, you know, so here's the plan: uh, we'll set up a website. Uh, it'll be called uh, AmericaWorks.com, and then people <laughs> can send in their vote. It'll be ninety nine cents a vote, uh, and then you could vote ten times a day uh, for all the different candidates that you want. Uh, we could let's just throw some other people in there, some fan favorites. The casuals uh, will vote for. Like, you know, you could throw in uh, Claire Underwood, for instance, as just somebody that you could just throw in there. <laughs> Text A for Claire Underwood. Yeah. Text B for Cashew. Text C. <laughs> for kathy durant <laughs> i mean what is he going what is he talking about uh that he's going to just let the public decide this well i mean i think he's he's not gonna let the public decide i think he's gonna let the democratic leadership decide maybe no he just, said let the public decide at the convention though i don't know i mean maybe it is gonna be texting i interpreted that as like the leadership is gonna show that they're making a decision together and it's it's gonna end up being rigged to be kathy durant but I don't know. Maybe he's well, got something up his sleeve. Yeah, but it's not. Ulti- we know it's going to be Claire ultimately, but he's telling them he's going to wants it to be Kathy. But he's also saying like, well, why don't we just let the public decide? Also, like uh, we want ultimately we want it to be Kathy, but we'll let them feel like they have some say in this. So is that going to be the plan where it's some sort of a vote and then Claire is going to end up being on the ballot? I mean, do we know that it's actually going to be Claire? I know we we know that's what Claire has said that she wants, and that's what Frank you know, Frank claims he wants to, but I don't think they've ever, you know, Frank has never looked at the camera and said, I'm telling him it's going to be Kathy Durant, but it's going to be Claire. You know, like we haven't seen, we don't know that that's his plan. We, we can assume, but you probably shouldn't assume on this show. You shouldn't assume on this show, but we haven't had any evidence to believe that Frank is lying to Claire. Like I, I think that he, if, if he was double dealing with Claire, then I think then he would tell us that that was the case. But even when a couple episodes back when he told Claire, you know, he said, I need you by my side. And she said, not as the first lady. And he goes, not as a first lady. He never said as vice president. I don't think he's ever told her vice president. I strongly disagree on this. I feel like that it, that all of his actions, all of Claire's actions, the way that they're working in lockstep, they seem like they are working towards the same goal of that is to beat Conway together. I think that Claire was very clear about her terms, that all she would accept would be the vice president clear as Claire. i think it's uh that's a uh, uh clearer than moonshine <laughs> clearer than oh wow more clear than moonshine not just clear as moonshine yeah and i yeah. don't think that frank has ever expressed that kathy should be the vice president like I, I think that he knows that he has to do this and it has to be claire otherwise for you know for a variety of reasons and i think that this is all part of one big long con that they're pulling on the democratic leadership and on america to get to where claire is his running mate yeah i mean i think you know i I do think that's probably where it's going i'm just saying that we haven't heard them explicitly say that and it is possible usually things are are telegraphed you know you, you know what you know what the ultimate goal is so um you know we are seeing them work really well together. They're a great team. I think they would be good as president and vice president. Um, 
you know, and I, I don't know exactly how we're going to get there. We got, what, five episodes to, to figure that out, most likely. In that scene with the Democratic leadership, as you alluded to earlier, Frank talks about how, uh, well, let's make it look like the party is uh, deciding this. And they said, Frank, you're going to turn this into a circus. And he says, politics is no longer theater. It's show business. So let's put on the best show in town. Probably no truer statement was said about the current state of politics <laughs> in our world and on House of Cards than this one right here about how politics is no longer theater. It's show business. So uh, let's put on the best show in town. Yeah, the people want to be entertained. And are you not entertained? Are so, you not entertained? Right. I, I do think the show business, you know, maybe maybe the show business line is leading us to something that's going to be, you know, Ryan Seacrest hosts America's vote for uh, for vice president. And we see we see Kathy Durant. And oh, look, Claire Underwood just stumbled onto the stage. And uh, and there's Claire Underwood and, and there's Justice Jacobs. <laughs> and he's he's coming back and. Uh, Don't get greedy with your pool here. Linda Vasquez, maybe she'll run for vice president too. So so we'll see ultimately uh, what happens. Now, the other big part of this in vice presidential news is the departure of General Brockhart, who was uh, a trusted advisor for Frank uh, in the last episode that he was very, uh, he was a big part of this plan to bomb ICO and then ultimately, um, because of Leanne's really like, hey, don't do this, don't do this, uh, that they ultimately pulled back. We saw that the general did resign after Conway promised him the vice presidential spot uh, on his ticket. How big of a blow do you think this is to the Underwood campaign that Brockhart is out? I mean, you know, I, I think it's it's not good. He's losing another a uh, high-ranking person that he's going to have to replace. He's already got a Supreme Court justice to replace now. Uh, I guess I don't know if he appoints a general, but he it's still a general who is left uh, with this this ICO situation, which was teased in the last episode and is probably going to rear its head again at some point this season. So it's it's definitely not a good situation. I think that's a little unfair of Doug to lay all of this at Leanne's feet, but you know I, I understand where Doug is coming from. And Doug is Doug is very possessive, like a dog uh, of his master, and he doesn't want anybody getting too close to his master. So whether it's Seth or Yates, or I don't think he ever really had a problem with Meacham, but um, now Leanne, he he just I don't know. Doug's a workaholic. He just wants these people to leave, and and he'll do their job for him. Yeah. So. Conway has his sights set on this uh, Brockhart as his vice presidential candidate, and he gets him to resign. And sort of in a weird uh, storyline with Vanity Fair, we'll talk about how that all comes up. They do a photo shoot, and uh, Kate Baldwin ultimately has like an exclusive interview uh, with the general. I mean, this idea of that Frank Underwood is weak on national security, do you think this is an Achilles heel for him? Um, I think it's it's probably one area of policy that we'll see more of when that we get to we'll get more of that in the debates uh, attacking Frank's foreign policy. But, you know, they did take care of the Russia situation. And that was even if it was when Frank was away, it was still under his leadership. But that wasn't so much of a military crisis. That was more of an economic negotiation. Yeah, but we've seen other potential military crises like uh, with China in the past Oof. and even with Russia. I kind of botched that in the Jordan Valley. Yeah, but it, it all worked out. We're all still here. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, so. I, I don't know. You know, Frank focuses on what's at home. America works. That's what he focuses on. 
oil prices. That's what he focuses on. So, <laughs> uh, really, Frank Underwood focusing on the oil prices really didn't get us anywhere. It was much more <laughs> Frank Underwood had to get shot, and uh, Claire Underwood and Blythe had to figure that a whole mess out. Yeah, the Underwood administration, the future vice president, Claire Underwood, uh, <laughs> took care of that situation. And an outgoing vice president, Donald Blythe, helped as well. Let's talk about the return of Yates, as you predicted in the last episode of this podcast. Uh, first off, uh, I know you picked him, but just how big of a shock was it for you to have Yates not only come back, but have uh, such a big role here? I mean, he was the very first image we see when mm-hmm. the when the episode starts and yeah, I, I was expecting maybe something would come up. I thought his his book was dead. I totally forgot about Scorpio and uh, and all of that Scorpio business. So uh, the, the phony Scorpio phoniness, I guess we call it. <laughs> yeah. So um, what was the deal? So Scorpio, that there was a guy who wrote most of Scorpio and then he died and then Yates finished it. Yeah, I believe that was what happened. I think Yates wrote the ending to it, uh, which is interesting because Yates is struggling with the ending. He doesn't have ending here. But the story with Yates is then, and then nothing that he's written since Scorpio has done well. So it's almost as if the story is saying that Yates is actually a fraud, that there was a guy who was the person who was the good writer. He's dead. Yates just picked up where he left off and finished that book. People loved it. Then. Yates is like a hack and nothing else that he's written has been good. Yeah. I, I, Except I mean, I, that Frank and Claire seem to think that, oh, he's so gifted. Well, what, he understands them. Yeah, he he understands them. He understands their relationship and uh, they he's want their him muse. to be. Yeah, they I mean, yeah, exactly. He's their, he's their puppet that they can get to. Or they're his muse. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know who Whatever. the muse is. You know what yeah. we mean. Somebody's a muse. Yeah. Too. Yeah. <laughs> And we see that we see the Conways talking about Yates and they're arguing whether whether Scorpio was a good or a bad book in the back of that limo, too. Yeah. Mrs. Um, Conway, she loved it. Is this like the first crack uh, in the iceberg of the Conways? Because uh, aren't the Conways like uh, like are there is there too much PDA with the Conways? Are they getting a little schmoopy for you? Yeah, I wrote that down, actually. I, I wrote down too much PDA. Like, they're always taking selfies. And Are you schmoopy? No, you're schmoopy. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's it's just, Governor Schmoopy to you. I, I wouldn't want to vote for somebody who's like constantly making out with their significant other. Get a room, Conways. Like, you were in high school or something? Like, come on. Yeah. Come Get on. a room, and then we don't want to see the Conway. Well, maybe we do. Uh, the Conway <laughs> sex tape on either. Like, uh, take it easy. Yeah. yeah, just just focus on focus on your foreign policy. Uh, all right, I got to be all right, full disclosure. Like uh, I wasn't hating the Conway sex tape last week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was I, fine. I, I, I don't really have a huge bone to pick with the Conways. Their Whoa. PDA is really the yeah, that's that's the only bone I've got with them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for the Conway, so they met with Gates and they were like, uh, give us the book on Frank Underwood. He's like, I'll give you an excerpt about it. And now he's changed the book to be like a fictional account of uh, Mr. and Mrs. Underwood, but it's basically the same exact thing. I don't know for like legal reasons. I mean, you have people like, uh, like other people like Lucas who are like, Oh, I fear for my life for the Underwoods. They're going to kill me. Yates really just moves with impunity that he's not afraid of any sort of repercussions. Like Frank Underwood's like, I'll ruin you. Uh, like he's not afraid that anybody's going to kill him. Like, don't you think if you were Yates, you'd be pretty scared for your life. Yates is a, like a bohemian artist, though. He doesn't have any cares or fears in the world. He's uh, he's going to get his art out there. He's going to get his word out there. And and who knows? Maybe this is like 
the writer of House of Cards meta way of saying that he followed around the the president of the United States and then he wrote something that's called oh, fiction. Did yeah. Bo Willeman work in the Clinton administration? I mean, I, don't, I don't know, but what's his uh, background? That, I I only know that he's made House of Cards. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is interesting. Maybe if anybody knows out there, any any of you fact checkers, let us know. Yeah. Can we get him on the podcast? <laughs> Well, he's not doing anything anymore. He's done making House of Cards. He actually looks exactly like Yates. Does he? Yes. Interesting. If you take a look at a picture of him. Okay. So uh, his early life in education, Bo Willimon was born in Virginia. Uh, his father was a captain in the Navy and his family moved frequently. Uh, he moved to New York. Uh, he was the worst student. He lived in South Africa for a year. Um, it doesn't say anything about him uh, hanging out in Washington, D.C. Yeah, well, I mean, it was worth a shot. Yeah, so we'll see. Maybe there's some more to this story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, maybe I, the person know. who really lived with the Clintons died, and then he just picked up the <laughs> script and then uh, ran with it. Yeah, so so that's maybe that's what the season five is. That's going to be a new showrunner. They're just picking up the end of the. They're just picking up the end of the show, and they're going to write something that Conway's not going to like. Sure, I think so. But he does look a lot like Yates in real life. Yeah. Did you notice Yates is a terrible narrator? <laughs> I think I probably noticed that last year too, but his voice just it drives me nuts. <laughs> I'll have to notice it. But so Yates, it's almost like, you know, Doug tells him like, hey man, back off. Like, uh, and he's like, oh, well, I got to do what I got to do. And so he's not scared at all. And then he comes to a meeting at the White House. Claire ends up bringing him in. And it's almost like he's like, uh, yeah, my book is really awesome, but it doesn't have an ending. I don't have an ending for my book. And basically, he could make so much money selling this book and giving it to Conway. And he almost basically says, you know what? The ending to my book is worth more to me than potentially getting it out there and having it be a bestseller thanks to Conway with a crappy ending. Yeah, and, and uh, Claire even tells him that what he's writing isn't true anymore because mm. his book was all about their marital problems. And, you know, whether she's just doing the showbiz thing or if she actually means it, you know, she says their marriage is good. So she is uh, very much saying, you don't know what's going on here. You don't know. And again, I think that also speaks to the fact that the, as, at least as far as Claire is concerned, she's going to be the vice president. She's like, wait until you see this. Watch what's coming up next. Stay in here for a week. You'll see. He does accurately call that uh, her mother, you know, the reason why she went back to Texas was not because her mother was sick. Also bringing up Claire's mother, which I hope means that uh, Elizabeth will be back in the picture in the next couple episodes. We'll get more about that. Now, we have Yates in the picture. We also have Kate Baldwin in this episode. We don't ever have them together. Do you think that at some point we will get Yates back together? Oh, I thought it was Kate's. Kate's, we call it Kate's. Yeah, because he's just Yates by himself. Kate, right. will Kate reconcile? Oh man, Kate's part deux. Yeah, that would be. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sure they're 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 not showing them, you know, so close together for um, at least in in terms of the episode timeline for no reason. So we're probably going to see we'll probably see Kate's at some point have a reunion. Yeah, they weren't ever on screen together, but he does come up now. Who is the woman from Vanity Fair that was like the college roommate of uh, Mrs. Schmoopy Conway? Yeah, I don't think we ever got I don't think we ever got her name. I think it, I just wrote down Vanity Fair editor, but um I do know she's the daughter of the guy who runs this big media conglomerate, which I guess is supposed to be like a Rupert Murdoch type guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and he was 
uh, Kate called him a tyrant at one point and they talked about that. Yeah. So she is having some sort of exclusive and then it looked like it was going to be, you know, the cover of Vanity Fair is just completely like in the tank for Conway that they got it like on the cover. One month is going to be uh, Mr. Conway and Schmoopy Conway. And then uh, the next month is going to be uh, General uh, Brock Hurst. Uh, which I'm seeing that is the correct uh, name for him uh, issuing a little bit of a retraction of, I called him Brock Hart earlier. Uh, I've been calling him Brock Hart the whole season. Brock Hurst, according to IMDb. And then the next month was going to be an excerpt from the damaging tell all about the Underwoods. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, the Rupert more like vanity unfair. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The Rupert Murdoch comparisons might be even more accurate. Who knows? (laughs) So they were going to do this whole thing. And then uh, she didn't want to uh, do even though she was going to get that excerpt. Uh, she didn't want to. Uh, Kate Baldwin didn't want to talk about uh, that, maybe because of the personal history there with Yates. Yeah, which uh, the daughter of the Vanity Fair tycoon, um, he, she called her out on the affair, too. Let's get into Tom Hammerschmidt, where we thought that maybe he was going to again, one of my predictions that was way off. I thought he was going to just leave it alone. And he did not. And he is going to be sticking his nose in all sorts of places. He's trying to first we see him talking to Zoe's dad, uh, Zoe, Mr. Barnes. Uh, what did you think of the conversation between uh, Mr. Barnes and Hammerschmidt? Uh, yeah, so I think his name was Lawrence. And and we see Hammerschmidt talking to Lawrence on the phone. And and they do uh, not so discreetly bring up the fact that he's been drinking and driving. I thought he was going to crash. Yeah, I was totally expecting a crash. So I don't know if that's just a, a swerve or if we're actually um, if we're going to see more on that. But, you know, interesting to bring back Zoe's father. That was not somebody either of us uh, drafted in our in our bring back draft, especially when Hammerschmidt tells him, like, uh, sir, I think maybe you should pull over. I said, oh, he's definitely going to crash. Yeah. It, who says that when they're on the phone? Oh, sorry. I've had a couple drinks. Like, I, who would who would say that? That's such a weird line to say. Somebody might say it. Yeah. Okay. But of course, uh, of course, we do have Zoe's father and uh, Zoe's father. His first appearance on the show was only over the phone. But do you remember when he was on the show the the last time? I vividly recall it. Yes, it was probably the most sexual scene that's been on the show. And actually, um, I went back and watched two scenes from the first season and I went back and and uh, by choice, I went back and watched the scene where Zoe's on the phone with her father. Was there anything of note besides the salacious that we remember from that scene? Um, you know, Frank makes a comment that her father probably knows her less than he knows her. And then he says, when she's on the phone, he says, listen to her get in her high voice on that high octave talking to him like she's 16. And in this scene, we hear Lawrence, her father say that when she was 17, she caught him in an affair. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just a coincidence, but, um, interesting callback to that scene. And, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm curious how many other people remembered when it was Zoe's father. They immediately kind of put that together. But um, I feel like that was probably a very memorable scene in the show's history. Yes, it was. And so Hammerschmidt, that he's on the trail and he's going back to what, where Zoe Barnes used to live. Is that the sort of like uh, neighborhood that she her apartment was in? Yeah, right by the pizza place. I mean, it all looked very similar, you know, brought back memories of Zoe Barnes. <laughs> yeah. And so now something has to be cooking here with the Zoe Barnes story. Yeah. I mean, we've talked a lot about, you know, is this going away? Is somebody going to continue carrying the flag? Um, I think this is this is a, a real smoke and gun uh, against Frank Underwood. And I have a feeling that 
this might come back to haunt him during this season. I thought maybe it would last into next season. I think it's going to come back this season. Uh, yeah, I mean, it certainly seemed like uh, this pot is going to be boiling over. And so uh, we saw Hammer Schmidt where he was talking to the homeless woman. Any significance? I mean, we haven't seen that homeless woman before, right? Uh, not that I recall. I mean, there, we might have seen her during the first season, but, um, you know, she's not anybody that I, I necessarily remember. Definitely not the way she acted in this scene where she she called uh, she called Zoe a whore and, and she spit on on Hammer Schmidt and. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, and he, when she called her a whore, it's like, this is like clearly a lady who's, you know, homeless or on drugs or both or, you know, like just cause she said she's a whore is probably not because she was having an affair with the president of the United States. Yeah. I didn't really get what they were going for with the homeless woman. Maybe somebody in the comments could tell us if that woman had any sort of significance prior to this in the show. So Hammerschmidt, he gets the big break he's looking for when he goes into the pizza place and he's asking the pizza man hey, have you seen Frank Underwood around here? And the guy like really blows him off. But he turns out that he has seen Meacham, Meacham standing guard drinking coffee while Frank Underwood was hanging out at Zoe's house. Yeah, what convenient timing that the Meacham picture was on TV right when Hammerschmidt happened to be in the pizza place. That's right. So he knew, he knew. And the hammer is getting closer. All right, let me give you a prediction here. Okay, I'm going to go out on a limb again. Maybe I'll get one of these right. Not since Dunbar is Dunbar. Have I got mm-hmm. anything right this season? <laughs> hey, you had the dog. You had the dog metaphor. That was pretty good. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to go back to a dog. Maybe I'm locked in with dogs. I think that somebody, maybe Doug, is going to send a message to Hammer Schmidt. I think the dog is going to be that message. Maybe Shades of the Godfather, where with the horse's head. I think that we're going to hit Hammer Schmidt where it hurts. And maybe that dog is going to be a message to him. Oh, I think that's a very good prediction. We've seen that dog is kind of the center of the focus a couple times in this season. So um, that that makes sense. And it, and it does really seem like that's Hammerschmidt's only only friend. And, um, you know, the, the he really cares about that dog. So um, that makes a lot of sense. And I could see that happening. Could be a way to send a real message to the hammer. Yeah. And, a, and another callback to season one in the very first scene of season one. In the last episode, I said the first scene was that New Year's party. The first scene of season one was actually where the dog gets hit by the car and Frank goes outside and is is narrating to the camera, kind of just setting up House of Cards. And then he puts the dog out of its misery. Yeah. And so was there a scene with Walker where we ended up seeing that party before? Yeah. So I I went back and I watched that scene, too. And um, it was the scene right after the dog before before the credits started rolling in the first episode. And it's Frank Underwood narrating to the camera, breaking the fourth wall. Walker's up on stage cheers in because it's just the ball has just dropped. It's uh, now 2013. It's the new year. And he's talking about how he backed the right man for president and things are about to look up for him and he's no longer going to have to be the whip in Congress anymore. Um, And and of course, we do know that that he thinks he's getting the secretary of state position and he's not getting that and he he won't end up getting that. Um, And he also uses the line that he used in the last episode about how he's the grease that keeps the sludge moving. So Mm. they did match that line up, but. Um, I do think that scene took place just a little bit after the flashback we saw with Conway. Leanne is also at the heart of some discontent as far as uh, Doug is concerned that he thinks everything is her fault. Uh, She is the one that called off this airstrike against Ico, which ultimately led to the general leaving. Do you think 
that Leanne versus Doug is coming to a head sometime soon. I guess so. It just feels so retread to me. Like we've already seen Doug versus Seth a bunch of times. Like we've seen this internal conflict between the soldiers and it's just I don't know. I hope it's a little different than we've gotten before, but I'm not excited about that. All right. Well, we saw Leanne dealing with this big data mining operation and and getting like delivering this whole big you know file folder or this banker's box full of numbers and names. Do you think what she's doing is having an impact or do you think that she is really not pulling her weight? Oh, I mean, it's definitely having an impact because with this bill, I don't remember exactly how many people they got, but it was like hundreds of thousands of names that they called with this robocall. And um, I don't know if you've ever had experience with one of these robocalls. I've definitely had this before. Yeah. 84,000, uh, I believe, people yeah, called up. It, okay. So 84,000 people. And what it would do is it calls you. And when you pick up, it's a recording of Claire Underwood giving that impassioned speech. And a lot of times the technology is set up where it's just like, press one to be connected with your representative and tell them that you want this bill to pass. So it's a very easy way for, for campaigns to get more support and get more people to sign on. And, and so, you know, this was definitely successful. We saw this bill is getting a lot of public support due to some help from Leanne and the, um, I don't know if you want to call it the snooping or the, the filing of public record or private information. But didn't it seem like to you that even Claire is starting to question whether Leanne is worth it at this point? I mean, she did ask Frank if she thinks she's worth it. But I think it, you know, I, I guess it was just a little bit of doubt uh, put in there by by Doug. But um, I think I think Leanne's doing a good job. We'll see ultimately uh, where that goes. Any other thoughts about this chapter 47 before we get into some questions? Yeah. So, you know, I think it's interesting and I don't know what the connection is, but we have Tom Yates and Tom Hammerschmidt. Yeah, two Toms. It's weird that we have two Toms on the show right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, not since what, like Survivor All-Stars, we had two people with the same first name yeah, sharing Tom a show. Tom Y and Tom H. Yeah, so is one the Tom that sucks? <laughs> Who is the Tom that sucks in your mind? Oh, man, Tom Yates for sure. Yates? I think maybe it's Hammerschmidt. Oh, man. All right. People in the comments have got to tell us who's the Tom that sucks. <laughs> yeah, tell us who the Tom that sucks is. Okay. Uh, let's get into some of these questions that we have. And why don't we start with uh, Spencer Y, who always has a lot of good questions uh, for each episode. Here's uh, one who that's a real conversation starter. Spencer writes to us about shirtless Aiden dance. What oh, was yes. up with Leanne's data scientist connection getting jiggy with it while he was covertly transferring all of the classified information onto a thumb drive? I assume Leanne is doing all of the printing and fake mailing of the box of papers to the office. How do you guys like to occupy your time when you're waiting for a large file transfer to <laughs> complete? What the hell was that? <laughs> yeah, we really buried that lead. We haven't talked about that at all. Yeah. Um, I don't know that that was really strange. And, you know, he takes off his shirt, he puts on his wireless headphones and is is just going to town. I think he's just, you know, showing how happy he is that his technology is getting used. But um, I do have kind of one other uh, observation I made with that. Yes. And so in the episode earlier, we saw that cup that he uses to give Leanne, it's like a Starbucks cup and written on there is the name is the word shame, shame, shame. Yeah, exactly. So shame. I thought of game of Thrones. I thought of, I thought of shame of Thrones. And, um, and then we heard when Claire was robocalling in her, in her speech that she was given. And she says, all I thought about was me, my pain. It was selfish. 
because a loved one was shot by someone who shouldn't have had a gun. We should all be ashamed. And shame. that was like, like a minute later, we're seeing shame again. Um, yet we see McAllen dancing with his shirt off to head, you know, with headphones and he has no shame. And he said, I am who I am. Or maybe the music said, I am who I am, but uh, no shame for McAllen. No shame for McAllen. So yeah, that was uh, definitely a memorable, and I, I don't know what they're saying about that guy. He's got no shame. Yeah. He can't be, you know, on the level. I think that maybe they're signaling that maybe this is a bad guy. Like he's like unstable or uh, it seems a bit unstable to me. Yeah. I mean, or he's just really into music. Okay. Also, Spencer writes to us about Frank's reverence for Meacham. Between the speech at the assassination site about Meacham, Frank checking up on the marker outline of Meacham's hand, and Frank lamenting about Meacham while making a handprint on the fogged-up mirror, it looks like Frank was in love, not just infatuated with Meacham. Getting back to the question that surfaced in the preview podcast, will Yates or someone reveal Frank's gender-slash-sexual preference to the public before the season's end? And again, Frank and Claire have a conversation about Yates and they're sort of like matter of fact about like, uh, did you have a thing for Yates? And a little bit, uh, why? And he's like, did you? And so again, contrast the complicated sexual and personal relationship of Frank and Claire to Conway and Schmoopy Conway. And it is a, a very stark contrast. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a really interesting point about the contrast. And before the season, I did think that Frank's sexual orientation was going to play into how he was going to uh, solve the situation with Claire leaving him, but it still is one of those strands that's hanging out there. And we've seen, you know, no stone is left unturned this season and they're going to bring things back. And um, Yates is one of the few people that we know about who knows about this. Uh, is that in the book? Is, is Frank, Frank's uh, affair with, with Meacham in the book? Is Frank's or, affair with Yates in the book? I mean, I haven't read it. I only saw the excerpt. Well, so I'm I asking you, say. what do you think? <laughs> uh, probably. I mean, it's, he's got a lot of pages to fill. Hmm. It seems pretty pretty autobiographical what he's what he's seen so uh I, I could see that being in the book and then we also have you know frank's college roommate that you brought up in the last podcast yeah be pretty damaging i think to have that get out there for frank really i mean do you think it'd be that big i guess i don't know i i just feel like it's 2016 i don't know how big of a deal it would be i think it would not be a big deal in some places but i think in this election versus conway we're talking about all these different swing states i think this would be i think it would be an issue i would like to know what's going on behind the scenes with conway i know like everything seems perfect they seem like the perfect He's an open book yeah he, there, there's something there and, and i can't wait till we find out what that is okay what do you think what do you think is going to uh, bring conway down you think uh, extramarital affair no i, I, th- it's I too think virile. it's yeah, it's it's I don't know, something else. I'm not know. I'm not sure what we're going to see, but he's got a secret. His wife's got a secret. Schmoopy has a secret? Got a secret. <laughs> Impossible. <laughs> I don't know. Uh she did talk about like uh what their college life was like. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, everybody's got crazy college life and you can just go back on conway2016.com <laughs> and and find out exactly what they did during college. No, that's pre iCloud. I don't think you have anything there. I don't know. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like a Black Mirror episode where you can just go back and see any any memories from somebody's life. Let's take an email. This is from Jared K who says, okay, I hated this episode. 
Not because it was a bad episode, but because I hate where all the storylines are going. First, with the VP nom, I bet they're going to screw Durant over because you can assume that Claire is going to end up being the VP. But why not suggest Claire now so you don't have to screw over your ally? I mean, I don't think Frank Underwood is worried about screwing anybody over. No, I think that this is all part of the plan. And yeah, I, I don't think that we're supposed to believe that he really wants Kathy in any way. I think that this is just what he's telling those guys is, again, just part of this big Ocean's Eleven type plan that's going to ultimately lead to where we're going to have Claire as the VP. You don't think there's any chance that they want Claire to be Secretary of State and Kathy to be VP? No, There's no way that's where that's going. Uh, that's, that's not what Claire wants. That, that has not been sold to us in any way. Yeah. And we didn't see Durant at all in this episode. And I feel like if they're trying it's a red to red herring. Yeah, it, it's total. It's not even very red. It's like a like a pink herring. Yeah. So then also we get from Jared. Where is Jackie? What is she doing? I feel like we haven't seen her because she just doesn't have anything to do with the election or with Frank's assassination. So I believe that is why we haven't seen her. But can't they put her in the show somehow? I mean, she's my favorite character throughout <laughs> season two and three, and she's just not even in there. I'm not really invested in this whole her and Remy on and off thing again, but at least could they show some of that or maybe something with Claire's bill? Oh, there's my question. Do you think that Jackie will be the foil for Claire's gun bill? Mm, I don't think that's what it'll be, but I do think, you know, Jackie has her own campaign in California. We've heard it referenced. So I just assume she's off uh, running and trying to get reelected. And I guess Remy is maybe managing her campaign. And um, I, I was thinking we haven't seen Jackie and Remy in a little while, but yeah. I think, you know, it's okay. I think we have more interesting characters. I'd rather see more of the Conways and less of Jackie and Remy. Well, I don't mind seeing more of Jackie, but you got to give her a story. I don't know if it was an issue with the actress's availability, if she just was only had so much time to be on the show, so they didn't write her that much, or they didn't have anything to do with her, so they didn't write her into the show that much. But I feel like as much as I love Jackie, let's not just have her on screen to have her on screen. Let's, you know, hopefully we figure out something to do with her before the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think she'll be back before the end of the season. And I do like Jackie. I like her as a character. I like the actress. I like Remy. I just, yeah, it's like when their wheels are just spinning and it's, it's, they're, they're kind of getting into the Ross and Rachel thing. I'm just kind of, I, I don't really want to watch that. House of Cards commenter extraordinaire Johnny DeSilvera wants to know what's the silver bullet that Tom is going to be able to find in Meacham's travel records to pin it on Frank. The closing shots of the episode were Hammer Schmidt hammering away on the keyboard. He's got that big calendar up of September 2013, October 2013, November 2013. So what is it that he is trying to figure out? I do not believe that he is plotting Survivor 27 on his wall. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm not sure exactly where he's going with that. Maybe he is trying to trying to plan to get on Survivor. And, uh, the countdown to Tyson's win. Yeah, he's a big Tyson fan. I've heard <laughs> huge Tyson fan. Yeah, hammer. I, I mean, I I'm not exactly sure. There's lots of places where Meacham's travel records could be incriminating for Frank, but um, in what just, way? Why would Meacham's travel records be incriminating to Frank? I mean, it could you know if if it places that Frank was going to Zoe Barnes's house a lot. I mean, that alone doesn't prove that he did anything, but. Um, it, you know, it, it, it could lead, it, we've seen this be just kind of one piece of evidence leading to another. So are we seeing, you know, his travel records maybe leading to people finding out about the affair, which 
then maybe leads to the affair with Pete, Zoe Barnes. Yeah, the affair with Zoe Barnes to leading to Pete Russo. I don't know if Meacham took him somewhere where Pete Russo was. I, I got to think Frank covered his tracks, but maybe there's one or two items in there that he just didn't think about. Yeah, I don't really understand where. I mean, if Frank goes to Zoe Barnes' house, does Meacham have to log that in his official records? I would imagine, but here's an idea. We've seen in this episode that Frank is it cares very deeply about Meacham. They, you know, they they talk to Meacham's family. They they care about his legacy. Would Frank throw Meacham under the bus if something comes out and say, well, Meacham was having an affair with her? Hmm. I don't know. Also, back in season one, and again, I don't remember season one off the top of my head. I didn't watch it before this season. So Meacham was sort of like, um, he was not an official member of the Secret Service early on, right? Um, yeah, I think, I don't remember exactly what the situation was, but I know that Frank got Meacham out of some trouble and kind of got Meacham's loyalty. Um, Meacham fired off his gun after somebody, I think it was after somebody threw a brick through Frank's window. Mm-hmm. Meacham fired off his gun and was taken off of the detail. Um, and then Frank got him reassigned. And after that kind of had his loyalty and his secrecy for the, until he, until he was killed. Yeah. Um, so I don't know yeah. exactly what he's charting uh, along the hallway, but I'm sure it will not take us long to figure out um, what's going on there. No, uh, I, th- I think this is going to be, this is going to be a big issue. Maybe not in the next episode, uh, but you know, within the next two or three. Bonus question from uh, Congressman Silvera, De Silvera. He wants to say, what's going to happen first? Leanne resigns her position or Tom gets killed for his snooping? Ooh. Um, yeah, I don't know if either are going to happen. I don't I don't think Leanne is going to resign. I mean, why would they cast, cast Nev Campbell to kind of like she did some things, but this she hasn't done a ton this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Considering to get such a high profile actress where they could have gotten, you know, just about anybody to play that role. Zach, we're going to be moving on to chapter 48, first of our final five episodes, bringing us home here in season four. Any other final thoughts? Was that 48? 48. Uh, I did also really love in the beginning of the episode where we see Frank for the first time, and he talked about how all the different points against why the Democratic leadership liked that guy, and then he started then counting down the points. uh, uh, Brian Heideck-esque. Uh, yes. where he ended up uh, taking away all of the options and then was left with the middle finger of that's what he thinks about Austin. Yeah, that was really good. That was some good show business by Frank Underwood. <laughs> yeah, great job. Yeah. Okay, so uh, ironically, yeah, uh, that uh, Meacham is going to be mis- the new Mr. Freeze. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ice cold. Ice cold. All right. Uh, hashtag. I really would like to do uh, Vanity Unfair. Vanity Unfair. Okay, cool. I had. Uh, I'll just. I'll just let you know what the other options I had were in case something else strikes your fancy. Yes. Your, your cat fancy. Uh, we have a hashtag. Claire has a podcast. Yes. Hashtag the Tom C-H-A-P. that sucks. Yeah. Tom that sucks. <laughs> and hashtag uh, Schmoopy Conway. <laughs> Schmoopy Conway. Yeah. <laughs> all good. All good suggestions this week. Why don't we let America vote on the hashtag? Wouldn't that be fair if we just let them? Go ahead and decide. And rather than let us, the you know, the powers that be, um, be the one to call the shot. Why don't we let the people have their say? <laughs> yeah, have your say, democracy. Although I do worry about the uh, Doug Stamper of Vanity Fair coming after anybody who's using hashtag Vanity Unfair. <laughs> yeah, say <laughs> I need you to change that now. We don't like that. You've been yeah. warned. Okay. <laughs> 
All right. Uh, very excited for the final five episodes here. What do you think we see in the next episode? Uh, I think we're getting the convention. Convention? Oh, my God. I feel like we, 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 then we've had to have had a big time jump at some point. I mean, we're already, you know, I think at this point, like we already have just one candidate on each side. We've got the vice presidents pretty much lined up. And, uh, you know, they, they mentioned the convention. A lot of times House of Cards will mention something the episode before we see it. So, OK, um, where do you think we're going? I still think that we're a ways away. I think we still need to see a little bit more of how Claire Underwood is going to. I mean, they, they just have not let that slip to anybody else besides the two of them that they want her to be the VP other than, you know, Doug and Seth and Leanne. Like they need to start to get that out into the ether a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we might. So we might see a little bit of table setting. Do you think the convention comes before the finale? I would have to think so. I can't imagine. Like, maybe you could say maybe the election is going to be a cliffhanger going into season five, but we have to get to the convention. Yeah. I mean, I, I would like to have the, the election all wrapped up, but at the same time, I mean, we're going to have some really good debates and some, some hammers getting dropped. So, uh, Hammer um, Schmidt. Yeah, the hammer. So, um, we, we gotta, I don't know. We, we gotta move along in the election process. I feel like I, I'm excited about Conway. I want to see where this is going. I want to see where we're going with all of the VP stuff and the general and um, Conway2016.com. All right. So we will be back. We want to get your emails, HOC at postshowrecaps.com about the final five chapters of House of Cards season four. Very exciting stuff. Having a blast talking about this, Zach. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's great. It's bittersweet. It's coming to an end. But um, this has been this season is definitely bounced back after season two and three were were kind of subpar after season one. I think uh, we're getting a really, really good season four. Okay. All right. It's the beginning of the home stretch. Final five episodes coming up next here. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash HOC iTunes. And really, we do very much appreciate it when you leave us your feedback and your star ratings. Search for the House of Cards post show recap or go to postshowrecaps.com slash HOC iTunes. Looking forward to reading your comments on postshowrecaps.com. We'll be back. Follow Zach Brooks on Twitter. At Brooks ZA, I'm at Rob Sussman. We'll talk to you again soon. Take care, everybody. Bye.